Hello, and welcome back to Season 7 of Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you back to the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is, and always has been, simple. To encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout, late-night meals. This morning, I have the privilege of sitting down with a personal favorite lifter of mine, Kaylor Woolham, more well-known as Dr. Deadlift on Instagram. Out of Lubbock, Texas, Kaylor has gone on in infamy as one of the greatest deadlifters of all time. The last couple years, Kaylor has fought through uh, a few major injuries, uh, most notably uh, a, a pec tear and a quad tear. So he spent the last couple years rehabbing and rebuilding. So Kaylor and I sit down and talk about what's next for him, the future for his competitions, some of the greatest video games to come out recently, and so much, so much more. So with that, folks, please sit back, relax, dive in. Kaylor, what is going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Hey, you know, uh, I was just, we were chatting, you know, right beforehand, been playing a little bit of video games here recently. I know you're a, you're a bit of a fellow gamer nerd uh, as well. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, before we even jump in, I, I'm, I'm curious, what has been the, the hottest video game for you recently? What's been the, the number one playthrough recently? Um, well, no one's going to be surprised to hear this, but God of War Ragnarok is definitely yeah. the one that I've been into the most lately. Um, you know, that, that game just means a lot to me, you know, and this one particularly, I've been waiting for it to come out since, uh, 2018, you know, since the last one came out. So, um, it was just several years of anticipation and it ended up being everything I wanted it to be. And, and, you know, you don't get it, you don't get to say that a lot about, a, you know, a game or a movie that you're waiting to come out, um, you know, because sometimes there's like a lot of room for disappointment in some of these things, but it, uh, they knocked it out of the park. So I'm uh, pretty happy about it. Yeah, they uh, got a war. I, you know, I actually it wasn't until last year. I think I first actually got introduced to it. I grew up in a very, very you know conservative Christian home. And so I wasn't allowed to play, you know, kinds of games like that. And so, yeah, <laughs> uh, last year, my first God of War game introduction was God of War three. Uh, which okay. out, of, which yeah. out of all of them, you know, <laughs> the most brutal one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the anticipation he was, he was probably the worst version of himself in that game. Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. She's Hey, I, I don't trust you. You shouldn't, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but playing through those, you know, moving forward, the, the newer ones are just fantastic. Um, I just started playing Ragnarok. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm a little bit into Ragnarok right now uh, as well. I'm curious, between uh, the first Norse game and the second one, what do you think they uh, they strengthened in that second one uh, that the first one you know needed to build on? Well, so one of the big complaints about the first game, and the community seems like they agree, is there was a lot of the same bosses in the first game. So. Yeah. One of the ones I remember for sure was they had a lot of troll bosses in that yes. first game. And and in this game, they, you know, you can tell that the developers, they listen to everybody and it is not even close to a problem. You know, they have quite a variety of different enemies in, in this game. Um, and, you know, there, other than that, there was hardly anything that I thought was wrong with the other game. You know, I really enjoyed the mechanics. 
and kind of just just everything about the skill tree how everything felt about playing it and i feel like in ragnarok they just made improvements to it like they, they kind of just add little things mm. in there that kind of just made it a little bit better so yeah um, yeah. So really, I, I guess this overall player movement seems like it's improved, and I, I I feel like I can do quite a bit more with Kratos as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and it seems like a lot of his attack animations can be canceled a lot easier into a block. So it's like I feel twice as capable because of it. Like I feel like I'm just, you know, you can Kratos is a much more capable um, warrior now. I guess. Yeah, it's not as much that two dimensional. Just kind of hey, I attack one way, attack this way. Yeah, I would agree. The the fluidity increases pretty dramatically. And I appreciate the the element that you can play as Atreus. Uh, at different yeah, it just steps away from Kratos. Like, it feels more three-dimensional. Because it's like, oh, there's another storyline actually happening outside of where Kratos is, you know? Yeah, yeah. But anyway, well, uh, you know, before we get too, too off track, uh, chat about stuff here, uh, for those that, that may uh, not have been introdu- introduced to you before, I wonder if you give us a little bit of kind of who are you? How did you get involved uh, in this world of fitness uh, in the first place? Well, um, so I guess you kind of mean like, how did I get into the internet fitness? Or I, I guess when, when did I kind of how did I get into working out or, or what, what are you wanting to know? Well, I, I guess a bit of both. I mean, I, I think for okay. most lifters, the, the getting into working out is, is at least five years usually before the internet side. But I, of course uh, the internet yeah, side that's is, a good point. That's a good is point. where people really use your pat- platform blew up, obviously the point now where you have a couple hundred thousand followers. So I'm curious a bit of both. How, how has the trajectory gotten you to here? Well, um, I, you know, I guess it, it, it was just something that, I always just wanted to be strong as a little kid, you know, mm-hmm. and and then I was always just trying to do strong things. And, and then my favorite thing about playing sports growing up was, you know, lifting weights. So uh, it, it, that seemed to be something I just never stopped loving, I guess, you know, and, and I did powerlifting in high school. So I remember being in eighth grade hearing about that the high school has a powerlifting team. And I was like, well, what's that? You know, they're like, oh, they squat, bench press and deadlift. I was like, well, what's deadlift? I remember asking about that one because I didn't know what that was. And they're like, well, you just kind of pick it up off of the ground. And I remember thinking, well, that doesn't sound that hard. I could probably be pretty good at that. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's exactly what everybody else says about it, too. The first time they see deadlift, they're like, oh, you just have to pick it up because I don't, you know, I hear that comment all the time, you know, if you tell a stranger about deadlifting. Um, but, yeah, you know, so, so, of course, whenever I get to freshman year high school, you know, that was, you know, powerlifting was kind of the thing that I was the most excited to do. I played football and a couple other things too, but powerlifting was definitely the thing that uh, I, I seem to just care the most about. So, you know, I did, I did it through high school, had some success with it and whatnot. Um, and then, and then, you know, one day I, I wanted to start posting my lifts on my Instagram. And I think at the time, maybe I had like just, I don't know, 10 to 20 other posts of just pictures of myself and a couple other things. And and then one day I kind of just started posting meaningful lifts and, and I kind of wanted to do it just to kind of have like a training diary, you know, just to mm-hmm. keep track of all my lift highlights. And, you know, it kind of just caught traction and, you know, um, my lifts kept going up over the years and I just kind of got uh, a little bit more, more and more popular as, as time went on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I know in the last, uh, couple years you've uh, been battling some injuries i know we're, we're about a year year and a half maybe just under you know from the quad injury 
So how has that shaped just a little bit? I know you've been rehabbing and doing all that, but how has that shifted a little bit of your mindset just in how lifting looks moving forward for you? Well, so the big one was the pec tear. Um, because that, that one is kind of like not really recoverable after a certain point. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it can still get a little bit better, I think, but it's just, it, it's never going to even be close to a hundred percent. It's not like, it's not like my quad tear or my lat tear. This one was like, it, it's a lot of it is detached from the humerus. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I never had surgery on it or anything. And it's, you know, obviously it's a little too late now. Yeah. Um, so, so whenever, whenever that happened, you know, that, that takes bench press out of the equation. So, you know, and for me at the time, my, my biggest goal, the only way up that I could go from where I was at was to beat my total, right? Like, cause that was the thing that I always cared the most about. I always loved deadlift, but then, you know, total was the thing I always wanted to be good at too, you know, because that, that's just, that's just kind of what matters the most in powerlifting. Right. Um, and you know, at my, my last competition, I actually did break the sleeves world record total at 220. Um, so that was kind of the only thing that I could have done to, you know, do better was to, uh, beat that total. And I guess without knowing that I wouldn't be able to do that, it, it kind of changes my mind about competing a little bit, I guess. Um, because I, I really needed to have like a 500 plus bench, you know, to kind of get the, yeah. the total that I would want and stuff like that. Um, and, and it's not like it just took a hundred pounds off my bench, you know, it's, it's taken, you know, over 200 pounds off of my bench. So, it, you know, an amount that I can't really make up on the other lifts. Yeah. So, uh, so that was kind of hard. That was kind of a hard realization to kind of admit to myself that I'm not going to be able to beat that total anymore. This is kind of where it ends. That's as good as it's going to get probably. Um, and, and I don't mean for that to sound like an attitude of giving up or anything. It's just. It, it, but it is important to be realistic about things whenever you, you whenever you realize something, I guess. So, um, so yeah, so, so that, that, that did kind of change things that, that, that has changed things for me quite a bit, you know, not, not being able to chase after that total anymore, because, you know, I, I, I realize now that that was giving me so much motivation, easy motivation, you know, I, I, I it seemed like you had to wake up every day and go work out and eat all the food I needed to eat effortlessly, because I just had that goal of the total in in the back of my mind um and you know without that i've had to kind of look for other means of motivation right like i've had to find other goals to have and this or that and that's you know while i have been able to find some other goals and find some other motivation it's definitely a lot harder you know and it's it's and if i'm being honest with everybody it's certainly not as exciting <laughs> but that's sure. okay you know how could yeah. it be right you yeah. know yeah no i mean a hundred percent and I think that's where the, that discipline piece comes in. You know, I, I think I've lost count and I'm sure you have too of the amount of conversation you have with people that are like, well, where's the motivation behind whatever? And it's like, well, sometimes it's not about that. It's just, it's the discipline of, of I need to go in and do what I got to do, you know, because we're not always in a peak and we're four weeks out and, you know, your testosterone is sky high and you're amped to <laughs> be like, sometimes it's, well, I'm doing 10 by 10s. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, First, I mean, I commend you that, I mean, with those many injuries that for plenty would be, hey, this is it, I'm done, you know, for you to continue lifting and wanting to push through, I mean, it speaks to your character. Uh, so I, I, mean, I do want to commend you for that, um, that, that you're you're continuing to train. Um, and, and it doesn't sound like it's the end. Maybe for a full power, you know, you hit and bench, but, you know, yeah. I, guess, I mean, you see yourself potentially doing some exhibition stuff or, or even just doing deadlift only stuff in the future, continuing to push that. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, and if there's 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 plenty of moments where I don't see myself doing that, where I kind of think maybe I can't. But it, you know, to be completely honest, I don't think I I could stop if I wanted to. You know, it's like I have to. I, it's like I have to keep doing it, even if it's gonna not be the best thing in, in my best interest. Always, you know, I'll probably take it a little bit further than I should still. Um, but oh well, that's okay. But yeah, yeah. So I think I think I could see myself doing some exhibition in the future for sure. Yeah. At least trying to, at least. So. Yeah. Well, so on, on, on the other side of things, I mean, I know you've, you've always offered you know, deadlift programming uh, online if people want to, to buy the, the preset stuff. I mean, what is outside of competing? What does it look like for you in, in the industry in general? I mean, I know you work outside of fitness full time, as, as many lifters do. Um, but what does the rest of the, your engagement with the industry look like right now? Well, um, so I have a decent amount of online clients that I, I coach and stuff. So I always keep a certain, a certain number of them. Um, and I really like, I really like doing that. So that's, that's a pretty rewarding work. You know, I guess just being able to help some other lifters achieve goals that, you know, I, that I can't necessarily chase after myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a job for me too, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I guess, is that, is that, is that what you're asking as far as with the community? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the you know, or... well, I think so. For example, like for myself, uh, you know, I competed in college, uh, and you know, I, I also, to an extent, while I recognize genetics are not inherently needed to excel in powerlifting, there is, to an extent, a necessity uh, of certain weather leverages or a certain innate drive. I think to really perform at that top one percent. And so for me, I'm learning that I think my role at least moving forward is far more in the official standpoint. Uh, you know, I, I'm a state official USAPL. I'm pushing for national certification this year, kind of going that route, running meets and doing that side of things. So I'm curious for you outside of, of competing itself, do you see other roles for yourself moving forward, you know, maybe in more the auxiliary realm as well? Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess it's hard to say for sure outside of just kind of being a coach and being involved in, kind of a, a few things here and there just I don't know it I, I guess I guess my role in what what something I could do that would be really important to me is just to share the things that I've learned as much as I can with everybody else you know um and I, whatever that is you know I, I guess just whether it be how to be motivated or you know kind of how to be strong or or even even just in the, the I'd, I'd really like to you know branch out into the general population a little bit more as far as just being a little bit healthier overall, you know, just, you know, um, cause I guess if I could help spread that message around a little bit to the general public, you know, it, I, I would feel like that would be doing a lot of good. Um, just because I feel like we've seen so much, it, just the consequences that we have from people not taking care of themselves over the last couple of years, you know, yeah. like with, you know, COVID and, and all this or that. And I don't know th- people would just be a lot better off if we all just ate a little bit better, you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, make a world of difference, especially, <laughs> I mean, especially in the U S yeah. 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 So, it, it, yeah. So, so that I kind of want to be that a little, I, I kind of want to influence that a little bit more, I guess. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I, you know, I spent the last, so January, it wasn't even a new year. I'm not a big new year's resolutioner fan in general just I'm, I'm just more of a just change whatever it is you want to change you know but it coincided yeah. with uh, january 1st that i took the month of january and cut out all bread products 
So okay. uh, Th- you know, this just, year, this year. So last month I had no bread for the month of January or like the first 29 days of January, whatever. There's a meat at the end of the week, but the majority of the month cut out bread and it was remarkable. Well, one, how bad of a mood I was in for most of the month, but <laughs> you know, also but how, how better I felt. And I, I reintroduced bread last week and it was just immediately my body was like, I hate you. Like, why are you, why are you doing this? So, you know, it, it is remarkable. And I think especially in the U S with the amount of processed junk that is in supermarkets is in restaurants that just, are just being pumped into us that it is when, when you just take a little bit of time to be a little bit more aware of what you're consuming, the difference is astronomical. Oh yeah. It, it yeah, it, it, yeah, remarkable. It really, I, to be honest, I was at the point where I was like, maybe I should just cut out bread. <laughs> you know, <completely laughs> of course, is 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 an extreme, but but I think you're absolutely right. In the last couple of years, we have felt just a different. I think human nature, we're just feeling a little bit more fragile, you know, because everyone knew somebody or knew someone of someone who COVID impacted really, really dramatically. Um, that either led to someone passing away or just having severe health complications. So I do think people are more aware of what they're doing because there was a direct correlation. If you are overweight or at a a more dangerous, you know, body mass in general, COVID impacted you more, you know? And so, so, I mean, obviously tragic, um, just the pandemic in general, but it has also led, I think the silver lining is it's teaching people how to live healthier, live just more well-rounded lives. Gyms have higher memberships. I feel like coaching has increased because people are actually reaching out to professionals to improve themselves. And I mean, that's a blessing in disguise. It does seem like it really has kind of sparked the fitness community quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's even given people like a lot more at home ideas and stuff too. And just, I don't know, I guess it it seems like there's a lot more information nowadays about fitness. Yes. Well, and, and, I, and I think the, those first couple months when everyone was at home a lot also forced a lot of people to start creating more. So I think it gave a lot of lifters and coaches time to actually like sit down and formulate some of their thoughts and actually get the information out. Because I have felt like in the last couple of years, I'm seeing people who didn't used to communicate as much like info outside of just, hey, here's me lifting. And I feel like that has expanded, which has been amazing. But in the midst of that, and this is the, the perfect segue here, I mean, as you and I both know, the, the powerlifting community is going through a little bit of a uh, a rough patch here right now, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, because as a lot of the information is coming out, a lot of, of, of the dirt is, is getting picked up, you know, as a part of that too. Um, and, you know, I, I know you compete on the untested side uh, here. I'm, I'm curious, the impact for lifters of – the USPA fallout, uh, the WRPS stepping up a little bit, but just in general, just what this is causing, I'm curious, you're a little bit more in that scene as an elite lifter than I am. What are, what have been your thoughts and perspectives on what's going on and even what's, what's next? Um, well, so I, I, I was pretty far behind on the whole thing as far as, um, when I found out about things and I remember having to kind of reach out to a few other people just to kind of ask what was going on and they were having to send me, posts and links to a, a couple of different videos that was explaining the situation. Um, and, and honestly, I don't know, you know, it's, it's, a obviously it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, and I, but I guess I'm still just like a little bit, 
I, I'm still just trying to fully understand everything that was that was going on. Um, and and it's really hard to say like what's even what's even going to happen next and whatnot. Um, yeah. I, you know, if if one if one federation disappears from powerlifting completely, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's mm -hmm. going in the right direction. So <laughs> if we at least. Yeah. It, so if we can at least achieve that, then that's, I mean, that's not the worst thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's just, there's so much variance, you know, yeah. that, that, yeah. And, and, and I don't even think I see a world in which it's ever going to be, Hey, this is just it. Like this is powerlifting. This is the standard because there is so much variance. You do have the tested and untested. You have the variance in the bars. Like there's always going to be, I think two, two worldviews, but in my head, it makes sense if we can get to a point where there is a tested federation and there is an untested federation. Like, in my head, that logically makes sense, and that hasn't happened. Do you see that ever occurring? Do you, like, do you see us ever getting over our egos and making that happen? <laughs> well, you know, maybe not because there needs to be more money involved for that to for, – yeah. for the push to happen for that. And it's just, I don't know if it's ever going to be a spectator friendly enough sport for that to happen. Sure. So, I, and I think maybe that's why there's so much disorganization with it right now, because it is like small scale. There, there's not, it's not like one big organization that runs the whole thing, like the NFL, you know, or some, some kind of big lead like that. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that, at least I, you know, I was chatting with um, Joey Shepard about this a couple weeks ago that a lot of people don't understand. I mean, it's, it's a lot of these federations are private companies. You know, the, the USPA is owned by Steve Dennison. So, you know, the, the whole bit, everyone said, Hey, Steve Dennison, I, I even said it cause I wasn't really aware Steve Dennison needs to just step down. And it's not that simple because he he owns the company, <laughs> yeah. you know. And so, um, and and he's not going to sell his own company because that's his, you know, his money. It's the same thing with the USAPL, um, with what's yeah. her face that owns. So, it is it it's private companies make things more. Com it's not as simple as this is the NFL and here's the board of the NFL. You know, it is just right. here's this dude that bought this thing and runs me. <laughs> So, yeah, and, and I kind of feel bad for some of the other state officials and stuff like, for example, here in Texas, uh, we it's our USPA community here has always been really good, you know, um, especially over the last couple of years, the, the people that run it here have always um, worked really, really hard at it. And the competitions are they're ran really well and stuff. And I, I've done a few of them. So I kind of feel bad for them that they have to like kind of withdraw from the USPA or, mm -hmm. I, or I don't know if that's what they're doing or, or if they feel obligated to, or I, I don't know what their situation is and what they're going to do next. But I do kind of feel bad for the people in that situation because I do know that they're like perfectly nice people that I feel like they just kind of got screwed out of this whole thing. And it's, and it's their job, you know, that is, that is their job and how they make a living is running these meets and stuff. So it's like, crap, you know, that really sucks for, for those people in that situation. I know, I know. And, and, and I mean, the people I think of specifically, you know, of Travis uh, and Jessica Rogers, uh, you know, they, oh, yeah. they've, they've really been, you know, spokespeople for, for the USPA and, and ensuring that everything on the East coast is running the way it, it needs to. Uh, and, and their transition over to WRPF, I can see being pretty, pretty dramatic, you know, just for the community in general. So yeah, I, I, I think we're in a little bit of a tough season now of 
what's next, what's ahead uh, for for everyone, and and it almost feels like we're all just holding our breath at the at the precipice of a mountain, just waiting to see what's next. Yeah, yeah. I have a lifter that's doing a meet, a USPA meet, or he's supposed to be doing one here in March, and it's like, well, we don't even know if that meet's still going to happen, or I mean, we we think it is as far as as far as now, but it's like, well, ethics wise, it's like, well, do we even go? <laughs> it's like, um, right, <clears throat> right. No, I, I, I right. yeah, it, it's, it's a tough situation. Uh, and I know we're all, cause the plenty of my listeners as well, aren't even necessarily in the fitness community. And I've had so many people reach out, uh, and Hey, I don't, I, I don't know the first thing of what y'all are talking about, but it sounds, it sounds interesting, but it, it is, uh, you know, I, I've appreciated seeing like Joe and Briani, uh, and Micah and Karina out in LA, like seeing people step up and speak now, obviously Goob is going to continue doing Goob's thing, uh, <laughs> you know, but, you know, seeing people want to provide solution is, is significant because it, it allows uh, the community to grow. It's not just a toxicity thing anymore. And, that, and I think it's fantastic. Well, so here's a, another question for you, kind of, kind of shifting, shifting tracks here a little bit. I'm curious over your course of, of lifting and coaching and training, who have been, you know, there are plenty of kids now would look up to yourself and other lifters uh, as as people that they want to follow after in learning how to lift, learning how to train methodology. I'm curious for you, who were some of the people that really impacted your growth as a lifter, um, whether inside the community or outside of the community? Okay. Um, it, could this be like a, even people that I was influenced by as far as like yeah. what, I, I just Absolutely. looked up to you? Well, so one of the first ones I remember ever was Andy Bolton. And, you know, this is before I really even started deadlifting, but I remember seeing him, him being the first and only person that deadlifted a thousand pounds. He had that title for a while. You know, he was the first and only person to have done that for a good while. And I remember the first time I saw the video about it, they were explaining that and why it was such a big deal. And I remember thinking that was super cool, you know? Um, so I remember kind of wanting to be good at deadlifts whenever I saw him doing it and whatnot. Um, so I remember early on, that was kind of one of my very early inspirations. And then, you know, when I first started, uh, competing in high school and whatnot, well, I guess it was after I'd been competing for a little bit. Um, it was my senior year and I started working at a, a gym and my boss that worked at the gym, he was an old school power lifter. His name is Paul Springer. And, you know, he had given, he was nice enough to give me like a few little powerlifting lessons. He showed me how to low bar squat for the first time. He showed me, you know, how to get a better arch on bench press and, you know, just a, a few deadlift accessory exercises that I think really helped me out. Like he, he showed me a reverse hyper for the first time and a glute ham raise for the first time. Um, you know, so just a couple of things that I think really helped me out at the time. But anyway, he was somebody that I really looked up to, you know, because he was, you know, a big, big, strong guy. He told me he had deadlifted like 860 back in the day. And, you know, I believed him. I think he actually did. You know, he was really good at bench press and stuff. So that was um, a person that I was around really often that I was always trying to learn stuff from. He taught me about uh, speed training and, you know, Louis Simmons and conjugate for the first time. You know, I remember that's the person that I heard all this stuff from, from the first time. Um, he taught me about, you know, using bands and chains and all sorts of, all, all of that. So, he was definitely a big one. Um, and then and then it was always somebody that I was just trying to beat too. Like I told him I was gonna beat him someday, like I was gonna beat his deadlift someday. So it's, and, and for me, it was always important to have somebody like that, like have some figure that I'm trying to chase after, something that I wanna beat. Cause I remember for a while it was, well, I remember my dad 
could bench press 365 pounds at his best. So I need to beat that. That, mm-hmm. that, that was it for like a long time. And then finally, you know, I got there and then it's like, you kind of move on to the next thing. Well, the next thing was beating, uh, his name was Paul, you know, my boss, it was beating Paul's 860 deadlift, you know? So that was, I remember that being kind of like the next big thing that I was always chasing after because it was, I know it seems kind of silly, but it was like, oh man, well, if I beat that, you know, then I would feel super badass about myself because Paul's like the strongest guy I know, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it was always kind of things like that. And then, and then I, you know, discovered Ed Cohn, um, you know, a couple years, a couple years after that, you know, kind of hearing about his and, you know, hearing about his 901 deadlift at 220. Um, and then he just had like a lot of really good information videos about like technique and training philosophies and just, just really any time that there was a video of him where he was just sitting and talking about something, it was just, it seemed so valuable, like everything that he was saying. So kind of early on, I remember finding Ed Cohn and, um, you know, watching a bunch of his stuff and trying to learn from him as, as far as just, you know, kind of how to lift and whatnot. And um, I'm lucky that like I found him because, or found him early on, because it seems like even to this day, some of the best information I've still found. So, yeah. So I would say, uh, I'd say those three were, those three were pretty big. Um, and then other than that, I think it was just little rivalries here and there. People I wanted to, people like people I wanted to be. Like I remember Dan Green. Uh, that was somebody that I, I I've been following him before I even knew that you know powerlifting was a thing after high school. You know I didn't really know that there's all these other federations and whatnot. I remember being like 20 years old whenever I found that out for the first time. Um, but I remember paying attention to his numbers and what he was able to do at 220 and stuff. I just could not believe it. And then all of a sudden, one day I see this guy named Kevin Oak beat Dan Green's total at 220. I was like, are you kidding? Like, wh- who's mm-hmm. this guy? So then so then I start looking at, at Kevin Oak and I was like, start thinking Kevin Oak is, you know, the most badass lifter ever. And I- I'm always just trying to, uh, I-, I don't know, I don't know. It, I'd always get fired up about seeing his lifts and it always kind of pushed me for training a little bit. And then eventually, you know, one day I remember I, I, Kevin had the uh, all-time world record total at 220. And that was, it was like 2101. And I remember that that had beat Dan Green's record by two pounds. And I remember thinking that was like such a badass thing for him to beat that and how crazy that was. And, and then I was able to beat uh, Kevin's record by like a little bit. So I, I guess just kind of having those little things that I've been paying attention to over the years, like, oh, Kevin did this or Ed Cohn did that or Andy Bolton did this, or it's just those little things are always just kind of give me that little bit of extra fire to keep going. Yeah, I, I actually I remember the the first time that I met Ed uh, is probably four five years ago now. And I mean, you know how he is. He always had that dry kind of sense of humor about everything. And uh, I had made the decision in college of bleaching my hair, and uh, I, which I should have known when I met him was a mistake. Uh, but I was at, I was at the Arnold, and uh, myself and. Uh, another lifter friend of mine who's actually now in Texas now, uh, the two of us had both bleached our hair. We both go up to Ed uh, and Ed just goes, what is this? The fucking beach boys. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, ah, oh, damn it. This is the first interaction I'm having Aww. with Ed Cohen, you know, but, um, but it meant he, he remembered me. So I had the, the honor of, of having him on, on the podcast a couple years ago. Um, oh, cool. And you know, just, I, it, it really says something for someone to be as acclaimed in a discipline 
and to nonetheless still be as down to earth and humble as he is. You know, by by all rights, he could have the ego of, well, I've done everything. I am I'm the world's greatest powerlifter. Nobody can can light a candle to me. Uh, but nonetheless, he's the type. Of, he's just going to give out his phone number. He's going to say, "Hey, come and text if you need anything. You just let me know. Uh, hey, if you're ever in town." I'm more than happy to, to to teach you how to not be bad at lifting. You know, like it, it just, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's his bent, and I and I think that speaks so much to him from generations of lifters um, to to have uh, that kind of almost a godfather figure, you know, for the sport to be there and and be as present. And I think that's one of the things I appreciate the most about fitness is there are so many people like that, regardless of the discipline. I mean, in CrossFit. Uh, in in bodybuilding, in Olympic lifting, strongman, th- there's always people. Uh, the the other example I think of, um, and it's actually my my phone lock screen uh, was uh, me and Brian Shaw. You okay. know, Brian Shaw, one of the biggest humans to ever set foot on this earth, you know, and, and four times world strongest man. I know he's preparing for uh, the the upcoming competition as his last, but nonetheless, you know, one of the nicest guys on the face of this earth, and I think. One of the things that I've enjoyed the most about fitness is how accessible people are. I never would have thought a few years ago I'd be sitting down and having conversations like these, you know, because if we look at another sport, take take basketball, for example, you can't I can't just DM LeBron James and say, hey, man, <laughs> you got 30 minutes here. You know, the, the accessibility- yeah, it's like Joe Rogan. It's like Joe Rogan can't even do that to LeBron exactly. James. It's it, like it's like, exactly. you know, those guys are just not available to anybody. And, and, you know, the thing with, with lifting is the same level of excellence in this sport is exponentially more accessible than it is in other sports. Now, of course, we're not making millions of dollars from competing, you know, (laughs) but, but even if you take someone like Ronnie Coleman or you take someone like Larry Wheels, um, there's still there's still a, a a human element there where it still feels like they're reachable, you know. It doesn't feel like oh man, these dudes are just out in their own world doing something, you know. Which which I think is 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 a real blessing, and it allows especially young lifters to have a community they can jump into. You know, the 18 year old or 15 year old guys who are bench pressing for the first time can see someone like yourself do something remarkable and not feel quite as intimidated to ask how you got there, you know? Yeah. And they might actually get a response back from one of us too, you know? Exactly. Um, you know, cause I remember several years ago sending, you know, Stan efforting a message that he replied to is before, you know, I had any kind of popularity or anything like that. And, and he replied to it, you know, and, and I remember that being the case with a couple of other lifters, you know, and that's just, it was pretty cool, you know, cause you can never do that with like, you know, your, your NFL idol or something. Yes. No, uh, you you are you are absolutely right. There I, I you know, I I've never been afraid to shoot my shot when it comes to asking for the things that I want. But, you know, at least in booking, uh as I've sent out invites, you know, over the last few years and and booked the various seasons, of course I'll I'll always shoot for the stars. Sometimes with some of the people that I that I contact, I know that I'm not going to hear back from. You know, I, I know when I when I email Chris Bumstead, the the odds of of him saying yeah, absolutely are are pretty low. <laughs> but there there have been plenty of times in which I I have gotten responses that I am in awe of. Oh wow, you saw that, you know, like and, and it is it's it's remarkable. Um and and I think 
it's one of the things that's made fitness so accessible. I think it's one of the things that have brought so many people who who maybe didn't find the support in other sports a home where they feel like they're accepted because it is somewhere where even the best are accessible. And I think that makes a world, a world of difference. Well, so uh, another one of the things that, you know, I'm curious about um, for yourself, and this is especially as it comes to, to young lifters. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the difference here in, in internet lifting and just lifting in general, the idea of sponsorships and the idea of ambassadorships. So, You've competed long enough with enough success that I'm sure you have had longer sponsorship conversations with various brands. But I'm sure there was also a point when before you were at a certain level in which you're getting more of these, hey, yeah, we'll give you 20% off, use your code deals as well. And for a lot of young lifters, I know this especially with some of the college guys I work with and the high school guys I work with. Sometimes it's hard to tell the good from the bad. It's hard to tell the, this is worth it from the, this is just going to give ad, ad revenue to, to a, a company. So I'm curious from your experience as a lifter and as a coach and a mentor, what have you found to be beneficial about sponsorships, if anything, and what would be your advice to lifters who are looking for opportunities to partner with companies uh, and, and make sure they're not getting scammed or in fact, the company isn't being scammed by their engagement? Well, I guess um, one one thing that I I enjoyed about the companies I was sponsored by is I did also become friends with them too. So yeah. and and I think that that was kind of important, and that's what made that kind of a lasting connection. So Slingshot, for example, Mark Bell was the first person in the powerlifting world to ever pay attention to me, and I, I don't yeah. know if a lot of people know that or not, but he gave me a chance and you know and to do a couple of things before before anybody else ever even noticed me, Mark Bell, you know, he was paying attention to me before anybody else did. So, um, you know, like he flew me out to super training, um, you know, before like I'd ever even dealt with 900 pounds, you know? Mm. So this was kind of way back then. Um, and then, you know, and I remember them sending me like some equipment and whatnot for like one of my meets and all this or that, they, you know, and they never asked for, they never asked for anything back. They never, never like, Hey, you know, uh, put us in your, put us in your bio or do this or do that. Like they, they were always just wanting to help me out somehow or, you know, and that, that was something I appreciated because they, they, they wanted like, you could tell that they were doing stuff for you without there being strings attached. Um, and you know, and I, and I, I guess, you know, me and Mark always kind of just got along and I always, I was always like a fan of the, of his channel at the time and whatnot and some of his things. Um, so that, that kind of made that connection a little easier for me just because, like, I was already pretty familiar with them. Um, and then the, the other one, I guess, would be I was with the Kilo Cartel for a while. And, and again, it was kind of like a, you know, like I became pretty pretty close with the owner. You know, his name was Joey. He's a really great guy. And, and, and it seems like you can kind of just tell what their intentions are with you, like, whenever the whole thing gets started. Um you know, I, th I think one thing that I would be mindful of if I was, you know, somebody else, if, if somebody comes to you and they just offer you something like uh, you, you'll, you'll get 10% of the people using your code or something like that. They're not really, they're doing that for them. Like they're getting more out of it than you are. So I, I, I've never really kind of, I've never really, well, well I, I don't think that's an unfair deal at all because it's like, you know, they're, you're going to, you know, they're, they're only like, 
I, I don't know. I guess I, I don't think that it's unfair, but it's just not really something that I, I would really would really want. Because um, yeah. it doesn't seem like they care about like you enough, I guess. Right. I don't it know. More sounds I like guess, you're a I, number. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like like and then they only care about you for like whatever your following is or, or something, you know, and and that's not that's not gonna be like a hard deal to find. So um and I, and I guess like with just myself as a powerlifter and advertising stuff and all this or that, I, you know, even even when my page was like the most popular, I don't think that I even had like a ton of value for some of these other companies. Like I wasn't going to help them. I wasn't going to help make them like hundreds of thousands of dollars or anything just from the posts I was going to make on my page. Um, you know, I just I just don't think that. So, so, so you only feel fair like asking about a certain amount anyway so i i kind of just figured out the um i don't know uh i i kind of like just trying to make my own money (laughs) pretty much and yeah and and you know if if i am gonna have like a a sponsor you know there there are people that like i kind of know now Mm -hmm. um and and that's kind of how it is now like like you know they're all pretty personable and, and it's very like simple deals um you know so so I don't know. I don't know. I guess just make sure people aren't trying to like shark you or something. And I guess I, I've never really had that happen to me. I mean, it's no one's really going to like screw you over too bad. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the more that social media has come into play in, in lifting, I feel like it, it, there, there is more blood in the water as far as companies and, I mean, speaking of the USPA thing, I mean, coaches and me being able to take advantage of people that don't know better. You know, the, the, the wealth of information that's accessible also means that there's a flip side of that coin. There's a dark side of the moon as well. That means there's just as much, if not more, misinformation. You know, for every great company that's out there, there's another one that's there purely for profit. So... Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, I mean, it's just you got to do your research. You got to make sure that you're actually getting something out of the deal. Now, if you're a lifter, yes. you just want to be able to say you're connected to a company. Do your thing, you know. But if, if you're if you're really looking for uh, a genuine connection with a business, you have to do your research and, and not be afraid of negotiating as well. Uh, you know, I. I I had a conversation with a, a supplement company um, about a month ago when I was booking for this season, and I said that I was I was accepting sponsorships, uh, and they offered me a deal. And I said, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really it was a decent sized company." I said, "Hey, I really re- appreciate the offer. Uh, I I don't know if it's an offer that's quite in line with what I'm looking for. Uh, I'm looking for X Y Z. If you guys are willing to move into that realm, I would be happy to work with you. If not, no harm, no foul." Uh, I'm probably just not the best. And and they came back with a counter offer and it, it just didn't quite work out, but still nonetheless a, a good interaction. And so I think that's also my advice to people is don't be afraid of, of asking for what it is that, that you want and being respectful about it. I mean, arrogance goes nowhere, but of saying, hey, this is what is in line with what it is that I'm doing. Uh, and if this works out, fantastic. If it doesn't, just knowing your worth and being willing to, to continue on uh, and and I think that's right. Like, people are too fast it, to, to want things, you know? Yeah. And and it's like, you know, for me, it was posting something on my page about something other than lifting was really annoying to do. And I hated doing it. So it was yeah. like, 
what dollar amount is going to make me feel okay about that? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, and it, and it, you, have to, you have to consider, and I also would take into consideration, nobody else wants to see that shit either. Like, exactly. Um, <laughs> like they don't. And the more often that they see it, the more annoyed they're going to get at your page. So I, you have to take that into consideration whenever you're like giving them, or that's when, you, when you're saying this is how much I charge per post. And that, that's what I'm taking into consideration. It's like, it's going to piss off all my followers and probably lose a couple of them. So that's what you're paying me for, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. The amount of times I literally had this conversation with a marketing guy yesterday, the amount of times that I've posted something in connection with another company and someone's been like, this is stupid. I don't want to see it. And it follows me like, yeah. So, I mean, you are recognizing that, you know, people follow you for different reasons, right? There's some people that want to see you lifting. There's some people that want to see, you know, that maybe family or close friends that want to see the personal side of things. Like, Almost no one <laughs> is following to see <laughs> who you're connected with, you know? Um, right, yeah. Like the, the company I think, and, and I have no ill will against them. The company I think of when I think of when everyone suddenly said they were connected with them uh, a couple years ago was Herb Strong. Yes. Uh, I'll talk CBD. about that one. I was I, I, I was with them, and I'll say yeah. a couple things about that if you want. Yeah. Um. Now, this was a very good deal for me, you know, so um, – and, and I know there was, okay, so there was all the hate and about it being like annoying and all this or that. And trust me, I was annoyed by posting it about my, you know, <laughs> me posting it too and, and about everybody else, but I was getting a good deal. You know, I was getting like way more than I thought was even fair, you know, for, yeah. for my side of the things. And I only had to make like, like four stories a month and then like two main feed posts. And then the dollar amount I got for that, I was, I was really happy with that. And yeah. then they like flew me, they flew me all the way out to California one time to do like a, like take some pictures and stuff and kind of just hang out with them. And then the guy who's in charge of the whole thing is like, he's awesome. You know, he was just like one of the coolest guys. So it was like, it, it was, and then, and then um, it was kind of like a little family run business. So I got to go meet all of them and stuff and they're just like super nice people. So it, yeah. So, <laughs> so there was at least that aspect of it for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. what were you going to say about it? Sorry. No, I didn't. Well, no, I mean, I just remembered that was the, the company there for a couple of years yeah. where it, I felt like everywhere I turned, someone was like, Hey, use XYZ 10 on Herbstrong. And I was like, how many of y'all are sponsored by this company? You know? Right. And, and so on the one hand, I was like, how, was, are you, how are you paying all of us? Like I had no idea how they were able to do that. You exactly. Know? Like where's the money coming from? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I was like, dude, there's more athletes than customers. I think. I, I uh. right. Right. <laughs> and, but, but it is funny then how quickly, a lot of these companies are there for a couple of years and then aren't, you know, that there is something about a temporal mindset in the fitness industry that there's a lot of flash in the pan things, you know, people, people jump on board for something for 18 months, couple of years. Um, I mean, I, I use the example of hybrid all the time. Um, you know, hybrid at the big in 2017 was, the, the biggest thing in powerlifting. It was huh? the biggest thing in powerlifting. I mean, yeah, Steffi yeah. Cohen's breaking record after record after record. Uh, and, you know, and they brought on Alex and Ian and Mark. Like, you had just such a stacked group of athletes. And now, I mean, Steffi's out living in California. Alex has started to go strong. Ian's off in Alaska hunting wolverines or something. You know, Marcus is doing real estate. You know, it, it's it's splintered. And, and it's been, what, four years so it is. Yeah, there, there is something to be said Hayden, about Hayden. Hayden Hayden still owns it, right? Yeah. And I guess is, is Steffi even a part of it still? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Um. And, and, I miss and, a lot. So it, well, we all do, man. There's, there's no way yeah. to keep up with everything. 
Um, the, only, the only way I'm as interconnected as I am is because I keep having these conversations. Um, but <laughs> you know, there there is something to be said that recognizing the temporal nature of things, you know, and and, and I think this also relates to competing in general. Is so many people get caught up in the here and now of okay, this is what I need to get as strong as I can, as fast as I can, whatever. And three years later, they get hurt or something happens. They have real life, you know, that takes place outside yeah. of training. And uh-huh. and that's over, you know. And I think it's important for people to recognize you have to develop a more sustainable long-term plan if you don't want to, you know, burn really, really bright, run out of oxygen and, and get snuffed out. Right. Yeah, you do see that a lot for sure. Even like with the, I know a lot of bodybuilders around here that are kind of, kind of the same way or, you know, people that kind of just started lifting and then now they want to do like a show and then they're, they're more so worried about like the extreme side of like competing in the show instead of learning the work first, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, so on the back end um, of this conversation, you know, two of the things that I think have made at least this podcast unique has been this conversation of faith and the conversation of breakfast food, French toast. So we'll, we'll get to that one last. Um, but, and I've said this countless times on, on episodes. Now, one of the things that I've appreciated the most about this show and the conversations I've had has been the conversation of faith. And, and I'll tell you why powerlifting for me was a spot. My dad is a, is a pastor. My parents are missionaries. I grew up in a very, very Christian home. Uh, and for me, powerlifting and lifting weights was a place in which I felt like people from every single possible walk of life found a common ground. You know, at the end of the day, pick up the weight. Like, that's just what it is. Like, at the end of the day, just do the lift. And I really appreciated that because it felt like it was it was a commonality for uh, recovering addicts, for um, rehabbing uh, inmates, for uh, people who had no interest in religion, uh, people in the LGBTQ community, like it, it really has been a, a centralizing and merging point that I just really appreciated. And the amount yeah. of conversations I've had with people from all those different walks of life has been really encouraging. So my, my question for you is this, what role, if any, has your own personal faith played uh, just in training, in coaching and in, in fitness and lifestyle in general? Um. I don't want to offend anybody by my answer, so I want to be careful here. Um, yeah, there, hey, we, we've had just about any, there's no right answer here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not expecting anything. Okay, okay. Well, so uh, I guess I'll start off by saying that I did grow up very religious. Um, I, I've been to church as many times as anybody, I guess. You know, I would say for the first 20 years of my life, the amount of times that I missed church on a Sunday, I could count on like two hands. Yeah. Um, so, so that's at least over a thousand times. So, so it was, it was a very big part of my life. And at one point I was all about it, just like I am with lifting. Um, and it, it did, it did kind of stop being that way, you know, um, a little while back. So, so, so I will say that. So I guess, um, I would say that my lack of faith has played a role in my fitness as far as like, and and I, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings by saying this, but, but there is, a, a bit of uh, satisfaction I get knowing that, you know, everything that like I, I achieved, it was kind of just, it, 
you know, maybe growing up, I was taught that I, I should I needed to pray for those things for them to happen. But, you know, and then in my adult life, I figured out that, that there was a different way, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and again, I, I try to say that as delicately as I can, um, but that, that, I think that is kind of how I feel about it, I guess. No, hundred percent. Hey, there's no, no, no delicate touch is, is necessary. Yeah. <laughs> uh, personal experience like is a... personal experience, man. Yeah, yeah, and and I guess you know it was something that I, I felt good about not needing, um, but I don't know, I don't know, you know, I guess I don't I don't think a whole lot about it though. Is, is, yeah. is I guess is what I'm saying too. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I appreciate the I appreciate the the honesty. Yeah, so absolutely. The so the other the other question I've got, and this is the the fan favorite here, is the topic of French toast. Uh, when I was coming up with the uh, podcast name. I needed a third F. I, I knew I wanted to. <laughs> I needed a third F. I just ended up with French toast. Um, yeah. But, you know, at my uh, heaviest competing, I competed in the 308s. I was a foodie. And I'm still a foodie. I said once a fat boy, always a fat boy, even though I'm, I'm much lighter now. Uh, I've, I've always enjoyed breakfast food. Uh, and so my question for you is this. Forget the macros. Forget nutrition in this. What breakfast food or breakfast meal would you say holds king over the rest of them for you and why? Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to say why first before okay. I even say what, because okay. the why is really important. So I, I, I have, I, I get very OCD about my diet and if I'm not, then, well, and I guess the reason that I am OCD about my diet is because that is my key to feeling good throughout the day. So it's like, it really does have to kind of be like this. And if I eat the wrong thing and it upsets my stomach and then now my day isn't as good as it needs to be. Right. So, um, so because of that, I eat, I am all about eating the exact same breakfast every single, you know, every single time, every day. Okay. And it's always the same thing. And I love this. I love this combination. It's and, and it's super fast to put together. So it's something that anybody could just prepare in a couple of minutes. Um, so the convenience aspect of it is also what makes it a favorite. So it's going to be three big, three to four big pieces of sourdough toast, um, six hard boiled eggs, and then two pieces of cheese. So, uh, yeah, and that's it. And then maybe like a glass of milk too. Okay. And then right there, that's that's solid breakfast number one. So hard boiled eggs. What's the why hard boiled eggs versus a different type? Just the convenience of how easy it is. <laughs> yes, pretty much. So, um, you know, we've we've all been. I guess anybody that's been you know working out for like a while, we've all eaten a lot of eggs. We've been eating eggs for like a long time. Yeah. And you know, you you kind of will just get tired of eating them in a certain form for a while. And you know, so I'll I'll switch around between like cooking them in the microwave cooking them on the stove because scrambling them in the microwave is different than scrambling them on the stove. It tastes different. Mm. And then, and then there's like boiling them. And then, you know, so I'll switch around those three different kinds. And when I get tired of one, I just go to the next. So I'm on, I'm on hard boiled eggs right now. And with the current egg prices, usually, oh gosh, usually yeah. you're, you're most of the time you'd be spending two to three times as much to buy your hard boiled eggs like this at the store. Cause I buy them, I buy them already hard boiled, you know, okay. they're just like in a package and stuff. Um, and normally that would be like, two to three times the cost is just buying a raw egg. But now it's, it's like almost the same. So yeah, that, so it's the not egg even prices right now are now. unreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm about to go to the store here in a little bit and I, I'm just hoping that they have some cause they didn't last week. And thank God I've been like, you know, stocking up. I, I buy like some extras every, I buy like one extra every single week. That way, if they run out, I'm good for like another two weeks. Yeah, I mean you oh. have to. I, I, I literally, cause usually I'm, I'm a big free range guy in, in general just because I don't like dealing more of the process crap, but 
because of egg prices being as uh, uh, just absurd as they are, I picked up a Costco membership explicitly so that I could get my eggs in bulk. Uh, because Costco, you can get that pallet of 90 eggs for like 20 bucks. Yeah. And so at this point, I'm like, I mean, that's the best deal I'm getting on <laughs> eggs. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. The day the egg prices and milk prices and everything else go back down, I'll be a big one because powerlifting got exponentially more expensive <laughs> for food products. It really did. And then, like, the quality of the food went down a little bit, too, it seems like. Yeah, it's, it's like, like why Yeah, yeah. There's, like, nothing good about it. Well, uh, so Kayla, I mean, just appreciate uh, appreciate the time. I mean, the last thing I, I got for you, brother, you know, as you as you look ahead this year specifically, um, I know you're continuing to to build back up, um, back up into the fives, and everything else past past quad injury. You know, what what can people expect from you, uh, kind of in the near future? What's what's coming up for you? Um, that's a good question. You know, and that, I guess that's been one that I've been trying to get figured out myself for a little while now because it, it, it's kind of hard to know, you know, because may, I'll, I'll sometimes get an idea that things are going a certain way and then maybe I can do this and this and then something will happen. Like maybe something starts hurting a little bit again or something actually gets hurt and then it kind of changes those plans. So I, I've, I've had those moments quite a few times over the last maybe two to three years where, where like I'll get momentum going in a certain direction, get some ideas going and then boom, an injury that really kind of derails everything and I have to kind of start over. So um, I don't know. I don't know. So I, I, I guess, I guess I'm just going to try to keep being the healthiest version of myself that I can be for this year and, uh, not get hurt for a little while. So hopefully, hopefully everybody can at least expect that for me. Um, other than that, I don't know. I, I would like to do a long drive competition for golf. That, that is something that since I tore my pack, I've been getting more serious about my golf swing. Okay. And uh, I, I can hit a golf ball kind of far, so I think that would be a fun thing to, you know, try to do. And, and if you think about it, that, that to me it seems like the equivalent of powerlifting is, you know, just hitting hitting some hitting something with a stick as far as you can. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, well, uh, folks, this has just been a great conversation uh, with Kayla Woolham. Uh, you can find him on Instagram at Doctor Deadlift. Uh, if you want more from me, you can find me at Big Mo Powerlifting and Faith Fitness Podcast. Also find us on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, everywhere else you could possibly uh, stream a podcast. With that, folks, we will see you next week with Andre Milanashev. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment and thank you guys for listening to another episode. It is because of listeners like you that I am able to continue creating and producing content. You can find us over on YouTube at Faith Fitness Podcast if you'd like to watch some of the video episodes. Some of the videos I haven't been fully releasing just depending on the quality of the actual video files. Since Squadcast records through Wi-Fi, sometimes the quality doesn't come out as well as the audio does. So if you're wondering why there's an episode that doesn't have video, that's why. But obviously this was just such a great conversation with Kaylor. If you want a little bit more from me, as I said, you can find me at Big Mo Powerlifting or Faith Fitness Podcast and Instagram. You can find Kaylor at Dr. Deadlift. Folks, as always, it is my pleasure to be able to get this content out to you. If there's ever anything I can do for you outside of the podcast itself, coaching, 
questions about the fitness industry in general or faith stuff, please, please, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on Instagram. I'd love to have a further conversation. With that, folks, thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.